0: Good morning and welcome again. I didn't introduce myself earlier. My name's Craig and I'm the senior pastor. It's our privilege to have you with us this morning. If you have your Bible in just a minute, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20 in verse 13. You can go ahead and turn there. As you're turning, um, a couple of things I would like to mention. First, we did have a longtime member of our church who passed away yesterday, Miss Neva Errington. I'd appreciate if you keep that family in your prayers. Um, so as we think this morning about the preciousness of life, Please keep that family in your prayers. Okay, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Please stand with me in honor of God's word. I should have turned before I told y'all to stand, shouldn't I? Here now, for this is the word of the Lord. Four words. You shall not murder. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that this word would come alive to us, that we'd see the value of it, Father God, uh, that perhaps runs far deeper than we might initially appreciate or realize. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Before we jump all the way in, let me just give you two other things to keep in mind. Tonight we do have a mission emphasis service. Uh, We'll celebrate some of the mission things we've done over the past 12 months as well as give you a window into some of the mission opportunities that are going to be around the corner for you. So I hope that you'll be here at 6 o'clock for that. we have a lot of people involved. It should be a wonderful service. And then this Wednesday night at 6.30, uh, we've got a big family meeting is what we're calling it. And what we're going to do is to give a, a bigger picture and a, a, hopefully a, a deeper level of understanding into the upcoming building projects that we'll be undertaking as a church body. So our children, our teenagers, everybody will be in here. It'll be a big, raucous Good time. So we hope that you'll come bring your questions and your concerns and we'll do all we can to answer those this Wednesday at 630. right. do not murder. Uh, A few weeks ago I got held up on an airplane and got stuck in New York and as a result of that Pastor Adam covered for me. He preached and when he did he threw off our entire Ten Commandments uh, sermon series. He did not preach on the fourth commandment on Sabbath which I was supposed to preach on that day and it moved us off by an entire week. What that means is here we are in the Ten Commandments and we're gonna have to shave off a week out of this sermon series at some point because we gotta get into Advent, which I'm super excited about. Uh, Be preaching through the book of Ruth. But we gotta figure out where we're gonna go. And a lot of you sit around and go, well, Craig, if you gotta cut a sermon, why didn't you cut out the Sixth Commandment? I mean, do not murder. Craig, let's just be honest. There's probably nobody here who's a murderer. And and just to be totally honest, we talk about the Ten Commandments. Even if we move beyond the church, we just move sort of into the general population. Not a lot of people are murderers. Murder, though, seems to run at the top of our understanding of the Ten Commandments. Stephen Colbert, before he got his late night show, had a satirical news show called The Colbert Report. He once interviewed a congressman from the 8th District of Georgia who was a vocal advocate of having the Ten Commandments posted inside um, the House of Representatives and uh, and in the chamber of the Senate. When he was asked why he sponsored the bill, the congressman said the Ten Commandments were important, and he feared that if we forget them, our nation could lose its way, which I think we can all agree with. But Colbert then went on to ask him, can you name the Ten Commandments? The congressman was completely stumped. He did not know the Ten Commandments. He could name three. You wanna guess which ones they were? This was his quote, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal. Pretty close for at least three of them. Y'all, it's safe to say people would get those, but it's also pretty safe to say that do not murder is probably among the most commonly known. Why? To be totally honest, I think one of the reasons we all cozy up so much with that one is because we don't feel like we're in any threat of breaking it. (laughs) It's real easy because that's one I can aim at somebody else. But what if this command, do not murder, is actually a little bit bigger than you know, or than you realize, or maybe than you appreciate? This morning, I believe that this commandment is incredibly important for the church today, and I believe there are three things that we can take away from this that are going to matter for your life and your situation. You say, Craig, I am not a murderer. I know and yet you're going to discover as we wrestle through this that this verse has incredible application for your life. The first thing from this passage of Scripture we see is do not kill. Do not kill. Now, now, some translations of the Bible actually say that. Uh, do not kill. Others say do not murder. Um, why? But the definition for this Hebrew word is a little bit larger than you might realize. One of the things that's typically true about the Hebrew language is it is less concise some other languages so if we get into the Greek language it is often more concise than the English language um, so for instance in the Hebrew, in the Greek you're going to get multiple words for love that, that help us to understand the different kinds we get to Hebrew sometimes it's it's a it's a it's a smaller vocabulary and as a result the words have wider meanings a lot of times and so this word do not kill or do not murder the Hebrew definition of this word or the the definition for this Hebrew word is the ending of life that is unlawful or forbidden whether it is intentional or unintentional so this command is not an injunction for instance against capital punishment it's not even an injunction against killing in war it is a command to not take life that should not be taken This commandment carries with the idea that God's people would seek to preserve life. That we would be the kind of people who want to have a high value and a high regard for human life. This word carries the connotation of intentional murder, of course. And this is where we all look around and go, probably not a big deal. But it also carries... The idea of manslaughter and even negligent killing. Death caused through carelessness or negligence. Now, the Old Testament makes a distinction, for instance, between murder and manslaughter. As a matter of fact, such a distinction is made in the Old Testament between murder and manslaughter. So murder is premeditated and intentional killing of another person, right? Right? Um, and manslaughter would be an unintentional and accidental killing of another person. Such a distinction is made in the Old Testament that there are cities of refuge set apart in the Old Testament law. And those cities of refuge have a particular purpose. If you had unintentionally killed someone, the cities of refuge were given for you to flee to that place to avoid, to avoid coming into contact with the family members of the person that you killed and to avoid being killed by them. So you would flee to that city of refuge until such time as you could face, um, uh, there there, there would be justice and there would be a judgment made upon you, right? Um, And then even for then you would stay for a period of time in that place to protect your life if you had unintentionally killed someone. But you were still, there was still some liability involved. But It's not only manslaughter. The Old Testament actually has laws also for things like building rails around the roof of your house. Why does the Old Testament have laws for building handrails around the roof of your house? Because in ancient times, the roof was a place where people would gather. Much of life was lived and, and experienced on top of a lot of flat houses. And as a result of that, there was an expectation that the owner of the home built handrails around the roof so that people who were on the roof would not fall off and get hurt. You see, even what we see is building codes in our day and time today have their, their root in Old Testament law. When we built this sanctuary several years ago, there were hours and hours of conversation, discussion, and argument that went into putting rails up on that balcony because we had to make sure that they were safe and at the same time we wanted to make sure as best we could that they didn't impede the line of sight for people that were trying to watch or be a part of a worship service. So we've got these responsibilities. When the Old Testament gives us this word, do not murder, it carries with it more than just intentional or willful killing. It actually carries with it the idea that we have a responsibility to avoid causing harm or death through our negligence. Look, if you think that I'm just pulling this out of thin air, if you're reading from an ESV version of the Bible, some others would have this, but the ESV does, you're going to see that in your Bible, a lot of them have a footnote attached to verse 13. You shall not commit murder. And then in mine, the footnote is number three. So I go down and I look for that footnote at the bottom, and it actually says this in my Bible. The Hebrew word also covers causing human death through carelessness or negligence. I have a responsibility to protect and to preserve life to the best of my ability. And and, and as a result of that, I think it's important today that we should consider the ways that we could kill. We could kill certainly through something like driving under the influence, right? If I choose to drive under the influence of drugs or alcohol, then I put the lives of others at risk and I'm in violation of the Sixth Commandment. Obviously something like abortion would put us in a place where we are in violation of the Sixth Commandment. Reckless driving. If you choose to run 150 miles an hour everywhere you go, you're putting the lives of others at risk. And as a result, You can be in violation of the Sixth Commandment. You see right here, you're going, wait a minute, now it's not just about murder, it's about the way I drive. Yeah, it's about the way you drive. That goes for all of you adults. As I said in the early service, this is really applicable to our teenagers who sometimes get their driver's license, but their brain doesn't fully develop and they need to be reminded that reckless driving is not only a bad idea, it's sinful because we put the lives of others at stake, not only those who are in my vehicle, but those who are around my vehicle. Poor building codes. If you are... Are a builder if you are in the construction industry and you choose to cut corners when you're building buildings and you put the lives of others at risk, then guess what you've done. You've lived in violation of the sixth commandment. Okay, we're, we're actually seeing that come not only uh, in biblical law. We're seeing this being an issue with um, uh, that apartment collapse in Florida where they're checking to see if there were co- corners that were cut and who is who is liable for that. Right? If you're a mechanic and you cut corners when you're working on vehicles and as a result, you put others at risk. You're in violation of the Sixth Commandment. If you were a coach, I was watching some football last night and a quarterback got pulled out because of concussion protocol. If you're a coach, you put players at risk by continuing to put them um, on the field or on the court when their health is at risk. You could potentially be in violation of the Sixth Commandment. Y'all, this commandment is far larger than you are a murderer this carries with it the idea that you're choosing rather than to preserve and protect life, you're choosing to do whatever feels good to you or you're choosing to cut corners for whatever fits your particular goal, maybe what fills up your pocket financially. We've got to consider the ways that we can kill and to consider that when we choose to be negligent, what we are doing is we are deciding that life doesn't matter enough for us to prioritize it. Do not kill is far bigger than do not murder. Now look, this is not an injunction against capital punishment. This is not an injunction against killing in war. As a matter of fact, the Bible never uses this word in relation to killing in war, for instance. But it is important for us to understand that the do not kill, is there's, there's a distinction there. That that just because something might happen under the idea of wartime or, or police action doesn't mean that all things are forgiven, right? We still have a responsibility to protect and preserve life when at all possible. Do not kill. What are we to avoid doing? Taking life that is unlawful or forbidden. Do not kill. The second thing we see from this passage this morning is that we should not devalue life. Do not devalue life. It's, it's one thing to say, okay, Craig, I get it. I'm, I'm going to work diligently but to, to avoid causing harm or death. But what about the value of my words and my actions? What about devaluing life with the way that I live and the way that I consider others? Look, your words carry life. Your words carry life. Now, I, I know sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me, right? We've heard that since we were children. We, we even tend occasionally to, to remind people that, that you know, it, words are not the problem, it's actions. Here, here's, let me read to you Proverbs 12, verse 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Here's the problem when I suggest that my words aren't powerful when i suggest that words don't have the power to give life or even to destroy life when i suggest that i'm running completely contrary to this word because this word teaches me that my words are powerful jesus is going to talk about it in in the new testament that even when we choose to hate in our hearts we've committed murder in our hearts Don't devalue life. Consider the words that you use. Do you use words that build others up? Or do you use words that tear others down? And I'm not in this particular situation only speaking about the words that you would speak to another person. I'm even thinking about the way that you choose to use words about other people. And the way that in so doing, you show your value or your lack of value in the lives of others. Something like racist language strips away the value of another person, right? And and in so doing, it suggests to the world that you see them as less important or less valuable. Hateful language does this. When you choose to use language about other people, we talked last week about the importance of, of respecting authority. When you choose to use language that denigrates those who are in authority, you're suggesting that their life is of less value, for instance, than yours or someone else we got to be careful with our words but it's not just our words your actions also carry weight do you live your life in such a way that you are trying to show value for life so let's think about a few actions how about this one what do you watch on television what do you watch or on your phone or whatever, like I'm old, I said TV, sorry, some of y'all going to laugh at me. Um, but what are you watching? I, I've, grown, I've grown increasingly troubled by the, the grotesque violence that fills our TV screens and our devices and all other stuff. I mean, I, 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 I continue to sort of be amazed at the stuff that even Christian people consume right? You, you, you turn on, and I, I know I sound like a flaming fundamentalist, all right? I'm okay with that, but I, I continue to be bothered by the fact that, that we're we're drawing into our homes television series and movies and, and YouTube videos, and, and as was mentioned in my life group this morning, even social media feeds that are just increasingly violent and vile. And, and when I say, I mean graphically violent. Blood and bodies just stacked up everywhere, and it's When we see those things, we begin to be desensitized to violence in our world and it no longer bothers you. And if you don't believe me, I just want you to think back to the first time that you watched a movie or a video or anything that had an act of gross violence in it and the way that you recoiled when you saw it the first time. And you had a thought about whether or not you'd ever watch that again. But then the second time you saw it, it wasn't quite as bad. And the third time you saw even more, and it wasn't quite as bad, and now you can watch it and not even flinch. Think about how sickening that is for us to be able to watch acts of torture and violence and not even flinch and eat popcorn while we do it. It's not just that, though. We, we see the way that, that we're streaming into our homes and into our devices the graphic sexual things, graphic pornography. And when I say pornography, everybody assumes that we're running straight to like a porn site. Uh, but the graphic sex themes that are, that are running rampant, even in popular movies and series. Several years back, maybe a decade ago now, uh, there was a, a TV series or, or a series on somewhere that had become really popular, It was streamable. And uh, so everybody was talking about it. I had no idea. This was probably when I was doing my PhD. I was completely devoid of anything cultural in my life. The only thing I did was read books and write papers and preach to y'all and sleep. And that was all I did. And so I sat down one day at lunch here. And uh, I I fixed my lunch in the back or whatever, heated my lunch up, and I brought it to my office, and I sat it on my desk, and I fired up my computer, and I said, "I'm I'm going to check out what this show is that the whole world's talking about. And so I logged in to stream it while I'm watching lunch, and as it comes onto my screen in the opening credits, there is a graphic sex scene. In the opening credits. Now y'all can imagine I'm in my office, which is right back there, right, surrounded by all y'all and everybody that's in here on like a Monday, um, and, and I've got my lunch, and this is what pops up on the screen, and I couldn't get it turned off fast enough, right? I'm just, I, I, but y'all, I, I remember, I remember just going, oh my goodness, like we're celebrating. This is, this is a cultural phenomenon, and yet there is gross graphic. Sexual encounters happening on the screen. This stuff is rated TVMA, mature audiences only, which means my eyeballs aren't supposed to see it. And yet it's become normal. We've normalized it. And y'all, it's normal within the church. We gotta be careful about what we do, what we watch, what do we condone, Right? What do I celebrate in the lives of others? What, 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 what do I encourage? So we think about something like, um, any, anytime we see war come about, there, there, there always seem to be a group of folks that just get weird and, and, and bloodthirsty. And most of those are people that don't really have any encounters with wars themselves. But after 9-11, everything got bad, if you recall. And I, I remember there were people that just said, we should just go over there and just make a lake out of that whole part of the world. Just, just bomb it all into oblivion. And some of you are like, yo, that made good sense. Except for the fact that in so doing, we would literally destroy the lives of millions of innocent people. Millions. And somehow or other, in saying that, nobody goes, well, maybe that's not a good idea. Just war theory was was is, is, is a theory that comes about as a result of the work of St. Augustine in the fourth century. And Augustine, in his, in his efforts to identify what would be a just war, advocates basically a few things. Number one, war, we, that, that, that a just war would be a, a war of response, right? a defensive war. A just war would be a war that that is only geared toward combatants and not civilians. A, a, a just war would be fought with a degree of reciprocity so that there's not an effort to sort of do like a million times more than was done, if that makes sense, right? So there's, in other words, a just war should be about bringing judgment and justice, not about seeking retaliation. And yet sometimes we sort of, with our words and our actions, condone these sorts of things that are just mind-blowing. Because why? We haven't thought through them carefully enough. We just responded or We reacted. We tend to think that there's some people that that really aren't worth the same degree of protection as others but that's not a biblical worldview I shot two coyotes this week Um, I didn't want to shoot two coyotes this week I wanted to go deer hunting I did go deer hunting the deer did not show up but two coyotes did and they walked out at the wrong time Um, and and you know so they're they're a nuisance they have to go I feel no remorse for that but that's because they're animals they're pests those particular things are But they are not human beings created in the image of God. They don't carry value as image bearers of God who house souls that will live for eternity. The way that we choose to use our words and the things that we condone impacts the way that others view the value of life from us. When I speak about not murdering and not killing, for instance... The assumption would be for many of you, because you sat around and go, how in the world is he going to preach this sermon, right? Everybody go, well, he can talk about abortion, and that makes good sense, as it does. And, and certainly abortion is the killing of unborn people, and it falls under this. But what about a critical thinking Christian worldview causes us to consider whether or not something like bad health choices are a violation of the Sixth Commandment? Because when I choose to fill my body up with all kind of stuff that it doesn't need and to to live a sedentary life without any kind of exercise, what I'm doing is I'm not placing value on this temple that God's given me. And y'all, it's hard. I get it, it's Christmas tree cake season. Y'all know what I mean? Like, like it's pastor appreciation. Somebody dropped off a whole cheesecake. I wanted to eat every bite all alone. But I mean, Christmas tree cakes, like they, they had them on sale, I was at the store. It's not bad enough that they're there when I walk in and they're there and they have them on sale. It's like they're just calling to me, Craig, eat me. And there's a part of me that could probably eat those from now until Christmas. I would be 30 pounds heavier, right? I would, but I I could probably pull it off. But look, if I do, there's a history of heart disease in my family. If I do, I'm not only 30 pounds heavier, I might have cut 30 months off my life in so doing. A Christian worldview And taking God's word seriously means that we think carefully about how the sixth commandment applies to our lives. Not just the words that we use, not just the things that we watch, but even about the things that we condone and the way that we choose to live our lives. I need to live my life in such a way that I'm adding value to the lives of others and to my own. Right? And that means thinking carefully, because when we choose to not think purposefully and carefully, we devalue life sometimes by accident. Sometimes by accident, just because I didn't take the time to think. And guess what? Those accidents, what are they? That is negligence, which is a negligent taking of life, which is a violation of the sixth commandment. We all run the risk of living in violation of this commandment on a regular basis. So first this morning I wanted you to see do not kill. Second do not devalue life. And third do not miss the gospel. And here's how the gospel ties into the sixth commandment. Because as much as we like to think that we have not violated this commandment, the reality is your sins brought about the death of a good man. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, Christ died for our sins. See, we violate the sixth commandment by our sin. The Bible teaches us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And as a result of that sin, that we deserve death. But it wasn't we who died. It was Jesus who died in our place. Do not murder. Oh, the reality is that it's my hand holding the nail. Putting my Savior on the cross. Don't miss the gospel. Your sins brought about the death of a good man. But don't miss the gospel. God loves you anyway. God loves you anyway. Romans 5.8 God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. For you and for me. He did that. Galatians 2.20 says Jesus loved us and gave his life for us and John 3.16 says watch that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Don't miss the gospel. Yes, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Yes, as a result of our sin, Jesus died. But yes, God loves us anyway. And even in that place and even in that moment, God was displaying his love for us by choosing to die so that we might live forever, so that we might have everlasting life. Oh, it's easy for us to read the Ten Commandments and to see them just as a list of, of rules and laws, to see them as those things that sort of cramp us in, in, into to awkward places, that rob us of our freedom. That's how we tend to view the law of God, as robbing us of freedom. But the Apostle Paul says that the law is actually a tutor pointing us toward Christ. I'm 42 years old. I've been in ministry uh, for my entire adult life. I've got more education than I'm worth. Um, And yet it was not until this past week, through some reading that I was doing, that I finally found an illustration that really helped me to understand Paul's teaching about the law as a tutor pointing us toward Jesus. See, we, we have our children. We have children when we give them rules they tend to believe that our rules only exist to rob them of their fun, right? To rob them of all the joy in their life. And so I buy the Christmas tree cakes and I don't let them eat 30 at a time. And as a result, they believe that I'm just out to get them because I want to eat them all myself. There's a little bit of truth in that, but maybe not all the truth. Um, but I mean, we, we, we have rules to point them into directions of health. And so, for instance, you think about something like an electrical outlet. And we tend to tell our children that it's not a good idea to put paper clips into electrical outlets, right? Those don't tend to work well, but if, if you have more than one kid, you're going to at least have one that's going to wrestle with this theory. Um, and maybe you have one kid, and you have that one kid. And if you <laughs> congratulations, y'all better hold on. It's going to be a long life. Um, but you've got that kid that's going to wrestle with that theory, because when you said, don't put that in there, things are going to go, things are going to go wrong, in their mind, it sounded a whole lot like Adam and Eve hearing the Lord say don't eat from that one tree. Everything else is yours, but don't eat from that one tree. It's like you got that paper clipping you can do anything you want with it, just don't stick it up your nose and don't stick it in an, in an outlet. And they're like, well, I mean, hey, what do you mean I can do anything I want with it? I can shoot it with a rubber band, I can stick somebody with it, I can put papers together with it, I can, I can make a battery with it, I can do anything I want, just don't stick it in here, yes. And they think, well, hey, obviously the most enjoyable thing, exciting thing I can do with a paper clip, stick it in that electrical outlet. And these parents of mine are just trying to rob me of all the fun in life. And so what do they do? Inevitably, right into the outlet. And what happens? They get burned and the lights go out. Boom. If they're lucky, nothing goes out other than that. You know, they don't go out with it. That can happen too. Lights go out. You walk in, you're like, hey, the lights are out. TV's off. What's going on? Well, if you have an honest kid, they're standing there going, "I did something." If you don't have an honest kid, they're going, "I don't know," and they're standing there holding that paperclip in their hand. Their fingers are smoking, right? Well, guess what? I don't know any kid that stuck a paperclip in a socket twice. Okay. As they get a little older, they realize that. I didn't tell them to not put something in that socket because I was trying to avoid them having a good time. I didn't want something going in that electrical outlet because I wanted them to have the full experience of their freedom without being hurt. God doesn't give us the Ten Commandments to rob us of joy or fun or excitement. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. It's God's desire that we experience an abundant life filled with joy and excitement. And he gives us these ten rules. And some others in here, right? He gives us these rules, not to rob us of joy, but to give us fences so that we can experience the greatest depth of freedom and joy without pain and suffering. and yet he knows all the while that we will still break these rules like those children we'll still stick that paper clip right into the outlet and we'll be hurt and yet in the middle of that the Lord says regardless of the fact that you will sin I am going to create a way for you to be made right with Jesus Christ. I don't want you to miss the gospel today. Your sins brought about the death of a good man, but God loves you anyway. And He actually desires to be in a relationship with you. He actually desires to deliver you from your sin, to save you from your sin, and to give you that life of joy and abundance. And so this morning, in conclusion, the invitation is pretty simple. If you've never given your life to Jesus today, would you give your life to Christ? If you've been living your life far from the Lord and far from hope, if you've you've believed for far too long that life with Christ was robbing you of something and instead you begin to see today for maybe the very first time, That life separated from God has robbed you of joy and hope. And today you'd like to be connected with the source of hope. Today you recognize that though your sin put Jesus on the cross, today can be the day that you experience full forgiveness for that sin. If that's you today, as we stand in just a minute and sing, I want to invite you to come and to be made right with Jesus Christ. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but Jesus died so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be made right. And he stands ready to forgive you today. Perhaps though you're here today and you say, Pastor Craig, I'm I'm a believer, but I have not valued life. Not with my words, my actions, not with my leadership and my parenting. Perhaps today you'd like to pray at your seat. There's some space around the corners here that you could pray. I'd be happy to pray with you this morning. However it is that God is at work in your life, as we sing, would you allow the Lord to continue to move? Join with me as we pray. Father God, we love you and thank you and praise you for this day. Pray, Father God, that you'd guide us, move among us and change us. Lord God, help us to be the kind of people that value life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Stand with us as we sing.